Matthew 8, 18-22 Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me, and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. So, so good to be with you. So good to be able to see so many of your faces. This is awesome, yeah. Very good. Welcome those of you over in our East service. Those of you who are tuning in, listen, time to come back, All right? Come on back. All right, loved, loved hearing uh, you guys sing. Uh, we have longed for that, so thanks. All right, we are three weeks in. Uh, to a series that is called our, our Breathing Out series. We feel like there is a basic rhythm to the Christian life, basic rhythm to our church, breathing in and breathing out. When we say breathing in, we mean there are times where you go deeper in your understanding of God and his call on your life, breathing out, times when you are more focused on the mission that Jesus has called us to, to make an impact on those around us. We're going to have a breathing in series in August called Teach Us to Pray. But right now, we're in the midst of our breathing out series. We're calling Conversations with Jesus. We are looking at four conversations that Jesus has in the Gospels with people who are not yet his followers, who are not Christians. And we're doing that for a few reasons. But one of them is that there are surveys that will tell us that less than half the people who identify themselves as Christians, as followers of Jesus, will share their faith even once in their lifetime. And we want to make sure that we are a church that is all about sharing our faith. So we want to do it not just by giving you this series, but also by providing a class that's called Sharing Jesus. It is the best class I've ever taken on how to share your faith in a very kind of uh, easy way and a way that makes sense. And you can sign up for that class using the QR code in front of you, uh, or you can sign up in the Next Steps area. It's June 5th. Don't miss it. All right. All right. So we started this series two weeks ago. We started with Jesus talking with Matthew, the tax collector, and uh, that bled into a conversation with some religious leaders called Pharisees. Then last week, we looked at Jesus' conversation with a guy named Simon, who was a Pharisee and a prostitute. Both those conversations were kind of what I would expect with Jesus in some ways. It's very tender, very good, especially with those that are far off. But this conversation, not so much, right? What a weird thing. A guy comes up to Jesus and says a scribe, which means that it, that was a guy who was very serious about studying the Bible. Studied the Bible for many years, probably was a Bible study leader memorized chunks of the Bible, comes up to Jesus and says, okay, I'm ready, I'm all in. I'll go wherever you want me to go. What would you expect Jesus' response to be? You think Jesus would go, hey, that's awesome. This is the kind of enthusiasm I've been looking for. I'd be, if I were Jesus, I'd be looking back at my disciples and go, this is the guy, right? He could become the MVP of the disciples in no time, right? Instead, Jesus says, yeah? Let me tell you something. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, 
The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, right? (laughs) Then the next guy is even worse. The next guy comes and says, listen, Jesus, I want to follow you, but let me go bury my dad. And Jesus says to that guy, yeah, well, let the dead bury their own dead and come and follow me. And you just want to go, what are you doing? Why would Jesus say that? Right? In, in the Gospel of Luke, he finishes up by saying this. This is the last verse. Verse 62, Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. All right? Jesus is always surprising me. Right? He's harsh when I expect him to be tender. He's tender when I expect him to be harsh. Listen, if Jesus is not surprising you from time to time, if he is not challenging you from time to time in a way where you do not like it, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, you have stopped listening to Jesus. Jesus will always surprise you, always challenge you. And in this passage, I don't like either one of these answers, but the more I thought about it, where I thought Jesus might have been trying to answer some questions that I have about Christianity. I've had off and on, and maybe you have as well. Okay, so here are my three points for today. One is, why is following Jesus hard? Why is following Jesus hard? Why is following Jesus all or nothing? All or nothing. And finally, why is following Jesus worth it? Why is following Jesus hard? Why is following Jesus all or nothing? And why is following Jesus worth it? First, why is following Jesus hard? No one can accuse Jesus of overselling, not when they read this passage, or doing a bait and switch. Oh, and by the way, we won't as a church either. This is what I mean by that. Uh, If you are here and you are not yet a Christian, you're watching, you're not a Christian, Uh, Listen, I want you to follow Jesus desperately. I really do. We have a goal as a church over the next 30 years to have 10,000 people within a 10-mile radius come to know Jesus in a personal way. And we're doing that not, I mean, because we feel like that's the most loving thing for those people and what is best for the world. But we will not compromise the gospel in order to do that. Jesus doesn't, so we won't. But why does Jesus feel the need to throw a wet blanket on this guy who says, I'm ready, I'm all in? And the answer to that comes from the passage right before this passage uh, where he has this conversation. This is what happens right before. It says, and when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever, touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were uh, possessed by demons And he cast out spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. And then verse 18. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. You see, this guy has just watched Jesus on a healing spree. And he goes to Jesus and he's thinking, what could be better than this? I'm in. Let's do this. Right? But Jesus gives this kind of... Weird reply. He says, foxes have holes, birds have nests, son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Why wouldn't Jesus just go, listen, I know it seems like it's all good now. It's not going to be all good. There's going to be some bad stuff coming. That's not what he says. I'll get to that in a minute. 
For a lot of us, when we first come to Jesus, nothing could be better. And I've told you this, my story before. I was on a, on a ride in my 1968 Volkswagen Beetle between Tampa, Florida, where I was going to school at University of South Florida, to Orlando, where my parents lived. I had this conversation with God where I just said, God, can I just please come home? And I had this experience that is uh, Jesus, like what Jesus tells in Luke 15, where I felt like God ran to me, wrapped his arms around me and said, welcome home. I had never experienced anything like that. So I went home. I ended up dropping out of college, going to work so I could then go to Taylor University and begin studying for the ministry. I was all in. Maybe that's the kind of experience you've had. But then for most of us, At some point, life becomes hard, sometimes indescribably hard. And the question is why? Why is following Jesus hard? Answer that question, I gotta go back to the beginning. All right, in Genesis chapter one and two, God creates Adam and Eve, and for a time, we see the exact kind of relationship human beings are supposed to have with God. All right, God created Adam and Eve for him by him to be in perfect harmony with him. And that meant that God was God and Adam and Eve weren't. I mean that in a little kingdom, God was king and Adam and Eve were citizens of that kingdom and they were completely content to be citizens of the kingdom and let God be king. And then they were tempted and they decided to fire God as king. And they replaced him with themselves. And at that moment, human history took a 180-degree turn. And every human being since then, including you, including me, has decided that we are the masters of our own fate. We write poems about it. We sing songs about it. Every advertisement is directed at that inside of you. You get to decide. You want what's best for you. You're the one who's in charge. Right? And so every human being has this very primal, very basic, very natural movement to be selfish and self-centered. We turn everything into us. Everything, everyone, even God, we use for our own purposes. And then Jesus comes. And Jesus makes this announcement, the true king has come, and the kingdom of God is with me, and I am bringing the kingdom of God into one person at a time. Is that what you want? Listen, what happens is this. When Jesus comes into your life, it's like he plants a seed that then needs to grow into every area of your life. Because every aspect of your life has a flow for you to figure out if this is best for me. Is this for me? Every relationship, uh, your job, your money, your time, your hobbies, even church becomes about you. This is the flow. (laughs) I know I'm a pastor, so I have a particular perspective. But can I just tell you this? Um. I think it's a good thing that there are a lot of churches out there, but in some ways it doesn't do you any favors. Because the way people treat church, and it may be why you're here or why you are 
considering leaving, but the way people you know, go at church is they think, okay, I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to, you know, as long as it's doing this for me, but if the church ever does something that I don't, that doesn't resonate with me, or I quit, it quits being about me, as my, I'll go find a church that is about me, right? Right now, you're thinking, you, you need to go on sabbatical, like now, <laughs> Right? And that's what people do, right? And, and you know, can I, you know, let, me be, let me even be more honest, right? Uh, I go to this church a lot. And uh, I don't like everything. Are there songs that don't resonate with me? There are people who go here <laughs> that may not, you're not one of them, yeah. Right? But I have to always remind myself, it's not about me. Worship is not about me. Church is not about me. It's about him, right? But every fiber of my being needs to be changed because every fiber of my being says, no, it's about me. I want it to be about me, right? That's why Jesus says to this guy, remember I told you, it's it's a weird thing for him to say. He says, foxes have holes, birds have nests. Why does he say it like that? You know why? He said, foxes have holes. You know why? Because foxes are about foxes. Birds have nests. You know why? Birds are about birds. But then he says, the son of man, not about me. I will pour out my life for others. I will pour out myself for others. Do you want to do that? You see? You want to know if my following Jesus is hard? It starts because it's hard on the inside as Jesus begins to take over different aspects of your life. But it's also hard on the outside, right? Because we live in a world where every human being is like that, right? So we build systems that are like that. You know, there's a lot of talk about systemic racism. Listen, listen, talk about systemic sin. Every system, every group of people that you're a part of are always about this. Every, every company, every business. So there are going to be times where you have to stand up and say, no, that's not the way we're going to be. You've got to stand up to your friends and say, no, that's not the way we're going to talk. No, that's not the way we're going to treat them. You have to stand up in your business and say, no, and that's going to be hard. You don't want to know why it's hard to follow Jesus is because Jesus comes into a place where no one wants him to be king. And he says, I am the true king. That brings me to my second point, which is why with Jesus? Why is it all or nothing with Jesus? What Jesus says to this first guy is hard, right? Foxes have holes, birds have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. But what he says to the second guy is like downright rude. The second guy comes to him and says, "Uh, let me bury my dad, and then I'll come follow you. And Jesus goes, yeah, well, let the dead bury their own dead. And you just, what? Right? Now, uh, you got to understand that when you're reading the Bible, you always have to be uh, considering what's called historical context. So when you read the Bible it, you know, and you put it into the 21st century, sometimes you got it right and sometimes you get it wrong. In, in this case, if you think, let, let me get it right for you. When this guy comes to Jesus and he says, let me bury my dad, he's not saying my dad's laying on a slab and I need to you know, just finish up a couple of details like get him into the ground. That's not what he's saying. He's not even saying my dad's on hospice in the next month or so, right? He's going to go, because Jewish law would require him to be at his dad's side and not talking to Jesus. What he's probably saying is this. 
listen, I don't know how my dad's going to feel about this. And uh, I don't want to kind of deal with that. So uh, I will follow you, but first, this has to happen. And Jesus says, oh, no. You don't, nobody but first me. The, the most famous uh, but first kind of prayer was probably prayed by a guy named Augustine, who becomes a, a great theologian in the fourth century or so. But before he became a Christian, he was a playboy. And he had lovers in a bunch of different cities. And he heard a guy named Ambrose preach, and he got convicted. And so he thought about becoming a Christian. And this is what he prayed. He said, oh, God, make me good, but not yet. <laughs> the, the real prayer was make me chaste, but not yet. It's like he's saying, I got a few more wild oats to sow, then I'm all yours. Jesus says, you put any condition on coming to him, you are still the king. And he says, I come to you to be king. But there's a question that bounces around churches like ours. And the question is, can somebody, can somebody have Jesus as their savior and not their Lord? Have you heard that? That comes from the idea that Jesus' primary reason for coming was to die on a cross and resurrect so that you and I could get like a get out of hell free card. And you get that card by praying a prayer at any time in your life. And then you, you get the card, you put it in your back pocket, you live the way you want to live. And then when you die, you go to heaven and you get to the pearly gates and you produce that card to presumably St. Peter because that's the way all the jokes go. And you, you give it to St. Peter, and he goes, well, I would have never guessed, but you got the card, so come on in. Right? That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what Jesus is saying. Right? Jesus is saying this, listen, you come to me, it is all in, or you are not in at all. Jesus will never be someone's savior and not their Lord. And this is why. Let me... Every once in a while, somebody will come to me, and they'll be really frustrated with Jesus. And they'll say uh, something like, you know, all I ever wanted was to be a lawyer. That's all I ever wanted. And so I've been praying about it, praying about it, praying about it, and then I didn't get in law school, or I didn't pass the bar. And I don't know what Jesus is doing. Why is he doing this to me? And I want to go, well, that's easy, right? You were praying to Jesus to give you something that was more important than Jesus, you're praying to Jesus to get you to be a lawyer, which is your real savior, your real idea of what will make your life worthwhile. And Jesus says no. You know why he says no? Because it's not a loving thing to do to give you a false savior. Jesus comes and he says, listen, for me to be your savior, I must be your Lord. If you make me your Lord, I'll be your savior. That's always connected. Now, a little while ago, I was talking to a, a guy, a uh, good guy, tough guy. I really like this guy. And I got to share the gospel with him, so I was going through it. I was going, listen, listen, I know you feel like you're a good person, and you probably are, but you know, we all have stuff in our lives and our past that we're ashamed of, and that uh, we know, because he was a very kind of justice kind of guy. I said, you know, if there is real justice out there at the end of time, there's going to be stuff you have to account for. There's going to be stuff you have to pay for. You get that, right? And he's like, yeah, I get that. I said, well, this is the gospel. This is what it means, that Jesus came to live in your place, to die in your place, to resurrect so that he could offer you forgiveness. That means he would pay for what you owe. Does that make sense? And my friend goes, yeah, that makes sense. 
was going, yes. And then I said, okay, what that means is this. That when you ask Jesus for forgiveness, you are humbling yourself and you are giving him control. He is coming into your life as your king. He will be in charge. And this guy went, that's a deal breaker. I said, why? And he goes, no one's in charge of my life but me. And I was sad, but I kind of respected him. Because he didn't try to go, oh, no, please, no, no, I'll, I'll pray the prayer, I'll get the card, and then I'll live as my own king. He said, oh, I get it, I get it. Yeah, those two things go together. I can't do it right now. I'm still praying for him that someday he will do that. But he understood. Because the question is, do you understand? And that when Jesus comes, if he is who he says he is, King of kings and Lord of lords, he comes into your life as to be nothing less than what he is for the entire universe. Right? So that's why Jesus, following Jesus means all or nothing. And then finally is what makes it worth it then? Right? If it's true that following Jesus is hard, and if it's true that it's all or nothing, then what makes it worth it? I'll go through three quick things. And any one of these three should be enough, right? The first is this. Jesus is the king for the kingdom that is coming. Jesus is the king for the kingdom that is coming. One of the most powerful arguments to change our culture right now is this. You do not want to be on the wrong side of history. You heard that? You do not want to be on the wrong side of history. And that comes from like civil rights where people were all against civil rights and then the light shines and you see what's really true and you end up going, no, I should have been for civil rights. Of course, right? You do not want to be on the wrong side of history. If Jesus is the, the king of the kingdom that is coming, the most foolish thing would be on the wrong side of that history, right? That's number one. Number two, Jesus is a better king than you are. Jesus is a better king. What makes a good king? Well, Solomon in the Old Testament, he got to pray a prayer, a sing, make a single request of what would make him a good king. He prayed for wisdom. You know why? Because Solomon understood that the world is complex and that most of us see only on the surface, we don't see any unintended consequences right, to anything. We just see what's on the surface. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk right now about the, the lottery uh, in Ohio for the vaccine. You could win a million dollars, right? Um, I read an article this week that says that, that most, they've done, you know, this big survey, most lottery winners uh, wish they had never won the lottery because it caused so much misery. I believe that. Can I tell you something else? I still want to win the lottery. <laughs> right? Of course I do. You do too, right? Because I can't see anything other than the surface. I don't know what the unintended consequences are, and I'm willing to take my chances, right? That's the way we work. Who would know all the unintended consequences? Jesus does. Jesus does. I was talking to, on a Zoom call uh, this past week, and uh, I had said something about uh, kind of a struggle that I was having, and a guy, the guy on the Zoom call, reminded me of something I had said in one of my sermons. I hate that, right? <laughs> he said, Joe, don't you remember when you said this? This was a, a quote from John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. John Newton said, uh, 
Everything is necessary that God brings into your life, and nothing is necessary that he withholds. Everything is necessary that God brings into your life, and nothing is necessary that he withholds. How can he possibly say that? The only person he can say that about is Jesus. Jesus is the only one who knows that, right? That's what makes him a better king. The other thing that makes him a better king is this, that uh, every king in the world will require their citizens to give their lives for them. But Jesus gave his life for you. That's what makes him a better king than you. Right? Last thing is this. Every kingdom has a currency. Every kingdom has a currency. Something that you get paid, and that's why when Jesus says foxes have holes, birds have nests, what he's insinuating is people have houses. That's the currency of this present world, right? It's success, it's wealth. It's houses, it's vacations, it's all the things that all of us want. But when you read the the book of Acts and you see the disciples, as they go through their lives, they're operating with a different currency. Let me just give you some of the currency that you can see in their lives. One is peace. Let me just hard stop there. Do you know what it would be like if I could pay you in peace? Do you know what it would be like to have real peace? Peace, not just peace with God, but peace from all the voices in your head, peace from all the expectations that people put on you, peace so you can sleep long and deep at night, peace. The disciples had peace. They had hope. You want to find somebody with strength? Find somebody with hope. They had joy. They were growing in their love and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness. They were growing in character. And what, what Paul the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is they were growing in glory. Glory is a weightiness. It's a solidness. You find at the end of the book of Acts, the disciples are just so solid. You know why? They've been paid in the currency of the kingdom of God. Listen, this is true. You can walk a 1,000 miles to get to another country. And if you stop six inches from that country, you are still 100% in the old country. Jesus beckons everyone, come all the way in. Come all the way in. What Jesus says is that following me is going to be hard. Yes. Following me is all or nothing. Yes. But following me, Jesus says, is worth it. Absolutely worth it. Do you believe that? Conversations with Jesus. Jesus is talking to you. And he's talking to me. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I come to you and I am so, so grateful. I am grateful for... uh, what the stories that you include, I am grateful for the hard teachings. I'm grateful for when Jesus surprises me. And I'm even grateful for this. Uh, Lord, I pray for every one of us that want to be a follower of Jesus, that we will understand why it's hard, that it's hard on the inside as he begins to take over every aspect. It's hard on the outside. I pray that we will understand that it's all or nothing with him, that we will make him our Lord. But I pray maybe more than anything that every single person here will see that it is worth it. 
every moment of every day to make Jesus Christ Lord. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.